My Human Pearls When I first wore my necklace, I made sure the new bead was discreetly hidden under my shirt collar. It would have blended well with the others, but it was uniquely mine, and I didn't want to share it just yet. Plus, I had worked so hard to harvest it. It was my gallstone, my human pearl. From childhood, I've always been curious about what goes on deep within. My curiosity led to a career as a pathologist, where I've had the privilege of looking at others' organs, yards of intestines, slabs of lungs and livers, uterus, and ovaries removed at surgery. But let's face it, by the time a pathologist gets up close and personal with an organ, at the very least it has lost its spunk, its verve, its joie de vivre. As I slogged my way through a busy day at work, processing chunks for microscopic review, I nurtured a delusional idea that my working organs would stand out, have a flash of personality that would pique interest and draw a crowd. They were as much a part of my individuality as anything on the outside. I probably had a gallstone for years, harmlessly bobbing on a sea of gooey green bile, but now it had wedged itself into the tiny little duct connecting the liver to the small intestine. An episodic boring pain had turned continuous. I knew surgery was inevitable. My gallbladder had to come out. But this surgery seemed like such a nuisance. It was a routine procedure, requiring no va 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 voom surgical heroics, more akin to removing a rotten tooth, only the gallbladder is inconveniently located and requires more than a strong arm and a pair of pliers. However, besides my troubled gallbladder, the surgeon would see everything else in working order, my smooth and glistening liver, a deep rich brown, the color of the most beautiful horse you could ever imagine, my humble and rumpled spleen in the upper left, and coils of shimmering intestines with quaking contractions snaking down their length. I was jealous of the surgeon. I wanted what he had, a peek under the hood. I realized my interest in human infrastructure might not be widely shared, but I wanted a memento. Here was my chance. I could ask the surgeon to let me have my gallstones, much the way children keep their baby teeth. The gallstones were mine. I had made them. At this point, I had segued from the world of pathology to the arcane world of health insurance and knew firsthand of the horrifying waste in our system, of unnecessary emergency room visits, unnecessary tests, unnecessary hospitalization, stalwart gatekeepers. I wanted to show how it could be done, to be the role model of efficiency. I was determined to bring this surgery in on time and under budget. After all, I was expecting 38 family members for Thanksgiving the following week. I called my internist to schedule an abdominal ultrasound to verify my gallstones. I figured I could get that done by mid-morning and then, ultrasound in hand, I would somehow find a surgeon who would be willing to pop me onto his OR schedule. I never got past the first gatekeeper. The receptionist said the doctor wouldn't order an ultrasound until he'd seen me, and he couldn't see me that week. I heard the snap of gum as she said, Oh, honey, just go to the emergency room. Over budget immediately. As expected, the ER doctor told me that the first step was an ultrasound. As the orderly wheeled me off, I realized that from my selfish perspective, entering the healthcare system through the ER was very efficient. I didn't have to call around to make a radiology appointment, find parking, wait in the office, or find a surgeon. Not only was I going directly to ultrasound, but I was being pushed in a very comfy gurney with crisp white sheets and a toasty blanket. 
The technician moved the transducer across my stomach. That's a big stone, she said, pointing at a fuzzy round object casting a huge shadow. Look at that inflamed wall. You've got yourself a hot gallbladder. Needs to come out right away. It was at that moment I decided to let it all go. Stop trying to be totally self-sufficient. Stop trying to find meaningless workarounds in economies. It was time to become a patient and be grateful for our crazy healthcare system that allows me to waltz into an ER and say, here I am, let's take it out. I overheard the ER doctor telling a prospective surgeon that I was really nice. I was flattered, but knew that I was falling into the classic doctor-patient relationship where the stricken, vulnerable patient ingratiates herself to the life-saving surgeon so he'll do a better job with a sharper scalpel. When I timidly asked about the experience of the surgeon on call, the ER doctor told me he'd have no qualms about letting this surgeon slice up his own family. Sounded good, but also like the sales tactics stockbrokers use, i.e., this stock is so great that I even bought some for my mom. As I waited for the nurse to set up an IV, I tried to work on the Sunday New York Times crossword I'd brought to fill in the inevitable idle moments. The Sunday puzzle always has a theme to it, and one of the big breakthroughs is the aha moment when I crack the theme. The pain made concentration difficult. I let the pencil drop, laid the magazine across my chest, closed my eyes, and listened to the comforting beeps and hums surrounding me. The nurse casually asked, On a scale of 0 to 10, where is your pain? If 0 is no pain, and 10 is the worst pain you could possibly imagine. This was a standard question, just a box to check on my chart. The nurse wasn't even looking at me to assess visible signs of pain, a clenched jaw, white knuckles as I gripped the bed, or a dewy row of perspiration on my upper lip. It was entirely up to me to self-rank. The question seemed very tricky, one that needed some careful deliberation. First, the worst pain imaginable was only limited by my ability to conjure up agonizing scenarios. I remembered a gruesome scene in the movie Casino Royale, where a naked James Bond sits on a cane chair, except all the caning had been removed, exposing vulnerable and dangling body parts. That would be a ten. I could never self-rank my pain as a ten, because there must always be something worse. I wanted to give a credible pain rating to let the staff know that I was the best kind of patient, not stubborn and stoic, but not a hysterical hypochondriac either. My quest for my gallstones was getting complicated, harder than I thought. The nurse returned holding a morphine syringe and once again asked me, Okay, on a scale of zero to ten, what is it? This time she looked at the crossword lying on my chest, and I imagined her thinking, How bad could the pain be if this woman is working on a crossword? I was tempted to defend myself. Look, I can always knock off the Sunday Times puzzle. It takes me about an hour at most. Well, okay, maybe I can't get some of the smaller words, but I always get the larger theme words without any lifelines every Sunday. I could then hold up the blank puzzle and show her, Look, I haven't made any progress. I just can't focus. Trust me, the fact that I can't do this puzzle is a better testament to my pain level than any moaning or groaning. A compelling argument from my point of view, but one that might not resonate. I wanted to ask, how do most other people rate their gallbladder pain, and then pick something in the mid-range? I've never wanted to be an outlier. I juggled all these factors as the nurse wielded the syringe, ready to go. 
I guess my pain level is a six. Does that sound about right? The strategy hit the right notes. The nurse squeezed the plunger. In a flash of morphine-induced clarity, my aha moment burbled up before me. The crossword theme consisted of a word starting with the letter A, followed by a double consonant, like the word affair, A-F-F-A-I-R, as in love affair. The trick was to drop one of the consonants to produce two new words with a new meaning. Affair would become A-fair, like a country fair. The pre-morphing clue I'd been struggling with was mechanic's task. Now the answer was obvious, written on the insides of my eyelids. I dropped a T from evening attire, like a ball gown, to become evening attire, i.e. straightening out the tires on a car. Boom! I'd done it. I'd solved it. I flushed with pride. As I was wheeled into surgery the next morning, I thought about all the gallstones I'd seen in my career and wondered how mine would measure up. Some were truly beautiful, a polished green color. Many had interesting shapes, smooth and round, or crazily multifaceted. I hoped my large stone would be one of the pretty ones. The surgeon stood over me, cap on his head, face masked, gloved hands held upright. Are you ready? Shall we do it? he asked. Yes, but I have one request. Please let me have my gallstones. Don't let the pathologist throw them out. I want them. They're mine. He nodded and waved to the anesthesiologist. In a flash, they snagged the gallbladder using instruments inserted into four small incisions. A day later, I strode out of the hospital, down one expendable organ, and looking like I'd won a duel with an ice pick. At home, I sat at my desk and looked at the two stones the surgeons had saved for me. One was a quarter inch in diameter, with a concave surface from nestling up against another stone. The other was the size of a jawbreaker, perfectly round, the alpha stone. It was beautiful, artistic, a rich green color studded with white cholesterol crystals. I had a necklace containing a similar bead, the type of color catalogs give ridiculous names to, summer seaweed or midnight forest. Perhaps catalogs could use gallbladder green as the newest provocative color description. These stones are my human pearls, like the oyster who turns an irritation into a thing of beauty. I decided to incorporate my large pearl into my necklace. The jeweler was suspicious at first, but then I pushed the plastic cup across the countertop. Wow, I see what you mean. That is a pretty stone.